Cast. Well, everyone, welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. Uh, today's guest is Mr. Bill Coletti with Kith. Uh, Bill is a reputation management, crisis communications, and professional development expert and keynote speaker. Uh, he's been a panelist with the Wall Street Journal on risk and compliance, and he's the best-selling author of Critical Moments, The New Mindset of Reputation Management, which is an excellent book. I highly recommend you picking up uh, a copy, especially after you hear what we have to discuss today. Uh, he has more than 25 years of experience managing high-stakes crisis across the globe uh, and media relations challenges for both Fortune 500 companies and global political campaigns. He's provided senior counsel in crisis management and corporate communications and reputation defense to numerous clients such as AT&T, Target Corporation, American Airlines, The Home Depot, Xerox, Nuclear Energy Institute, and Cargill, as well as major universities and global NGOs. Bill has served uh, some positions uh, globally, uh, mainly with the Republic of Bulgaria as a senior advisor to the Prime Minister, the Council of Ministers, and the Labor Minister. He was actually the first executive director of the American Chamber of Commerce in Bulgaria. Bill, uh, it sounds like you have a lot of free time on your hands there, so thank you for uh, spending some of that with us. It's absolutely my pleasure. I'll look forward to it. Yeah. Um, so let me go ahead and just start you out where I start off all of my guests, and I, th- I really can't wait to hear your answer on this one. Burden of command. What does that phrase mean to you? Yeah, it's, I, so it's so, so wonderful. You, you give us a chance to think about it for a split second. And so I think that's you sending share it in advance. Uh, so it's a, it's a great concept. So I've got two things that are on my mind. And so when we talk about corporate reputation, um, one of the aspects that we think are really important are these levers that companies get to control around corporate reputation. One of those levers talks about leadership privilege. And so I think you you have organizations is that this there's i believe that leaders of big enterprises and leaders of small enterprises i'm a small business owner is that there is a privilege in doing what we're doing it is a privilege for us to lead these organizations there clearly is a burden there are things there are decisions that we need to make as leaders there is a there are challenges that we need to overcome as leaders but i fundamentally believe that that leadership is actually a privilege and that it, that being in that position to excel is where organizations that do really, really well. So I'll give you an anecdote. Tony Hayward was the CEO of BP when the, the Deepwater Horizon incident in the Gulf of Mexico. You know, he said he would much rather be sailing in the Thames River, the river in London. He'd much rather be sailing in the Thames River than having to deal with this. And so I think his burden of command showed that it was not a privilege for him to be in service. And that brings me to my second point, and I wrote about this in the book, is that the crucible of crisis, which is where we come from as a firm, is that the crucible of crisis doesn't develop your leadership, it reveals it. And so I think when you are in crisis, it reveals who you are, what you're made up for. And if you view burden in a negative way of woe is me, this is heavy, that will absolutely be revealed. If you view the burden of crisis as a heavy 
the heaviness that that it is intended, but that it is a privilege to be a leader. I think that's when you'll really like to you'll, you'll like what you see when it gets revealed. You know, I I really I really like that answer because you know as as a marine, that is kind of like the basis of everything we do is 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 that uh, we call it kind of inoculation against. Uh, you know, whatever it is against pressure, against being operating in a crisis. I mean, and, and it's funny you use the word crucible. Our our last step in boot camp is actually called the crucible, and and what it does for those who aren't familiar is it's a little over three days of events. You get about two and a half, maybe three hours of sleep over that time. Very little food, but it, it it's about. Every step of the way is about problem solving. So you are kind of used to functioning in less than prime conditions. And and it sounds a little bit exactly like what you're talking about here is that the more comfortable an organization is functioning in those times of, of crisis, the better they're going to be in the long run. So, Earl, do you believe that crucible that that's so I'm, I'm talking about a, a, a an, an ephemeral crucible you're talking about a physical crucible this 3 day event right. that's right. there is it your experience that that notion between developing versus revealing so I, my experience in the, what i've learned of the the marine corps crucible is that it certainly there's a development aspect of it mm-hmm. but is it is it is it more of a revealing tool it reveals who you are versus we hope you get through this and we hope that you develop and we hope you're better on the backside. Is it more revealing or is it more developing? Oh, it's, it's definitely more revealing because, you know, the the unknown secret, right, is that everybody's going to make it through. You're, you're more judged on how you operate in that moment. So it, it reveals what type of Marine you're going to be. And, and we, you know, in the Marines, everybody is a leader. So yeah, it reveals what type of Marine you're going to be, but it reveals what type of leader you're going to be in those high pressure situations. Yeah. Incredibly valuable. Good stuff. Yeah. Nice parallel between the two, the two worlds. Yeah. Well, you know, I like that. And, and uh, so going through your book, what I, one of the things I liked with, uh, is you start off right at the very basic foundation. And, and I'm going to ask you a question is title, uh, chapter title. What is reputation? Um, so there's a couple of different examples. Um, there's there's the very academic th- theoretical definition. There's one that's a little bit more pop culture by Seth Godin. Um, and then there's one that I use, which is kind of a real shorthand. And so I'll pick the middle is the Seth Godin. And so what what he articulates of what your reputation is, is your reputation is the expectation that people around you, whether your customers, your family, your neighbor, uh, the folks in your platoon, whatever, it is their expectation of what you say, do, or produce next. Okay. So there's a belief if I loan you my mower and you're my neighbor and you never return my stuff, I now have a reputation. You now have a reputation that you never return my stuff. If you are BP, they've had a two or three decades of major um, environmental issues. And so your reputation is the sum of people's expectations of what you say, do, or produce next. The way I talk about it is this simple form is that a, 
a company owns its brand. I can control my advertising. I can control the impact that my brand has, but it's the public and their view of me that shapes my reputation. And so what I think reputation is, is it is, it is, it is your expectation of a company or an expectation that you have of somebody else of what they're going to do. So when I was reading through the book and, and I read that the, the company owns its brands, but the public owns its reputation. I love that because my, my favorite, uh, and actually that's my new favorite way of describing it. But before that, are you familiar with John Wooden? Oh, sure. Yeah. So he, he was once asked the difference between character and reputation. And he said, your character is who you are. Your reputation is who people think you are. And, and, and I liked that. And it reminded me of another, another story. Uh, so I happened to be watching, it was The Voice. It's not a show I watch very often, but uh, I happened to notice Lionel Richie was on there. And, and I love Lionel Richie. And uh, he was one of the guest coaches. And, and they had this kind of, kind of cocky, arrogant uh, singer on there. And uh, Lionel just looked at him and said, said no. I'm just going to give you one piece of advice right now, son. He goes, you don't get to tell the crowd how good you are. They tell you how good you are. And, and I was like, that's brilliant because that that's, that's how you really know how you're viewed, right? Is the feedback you get from the people who are your customer. No, absolutely. And I think that's too, too often people forget about that. And I think so. The wisdom of Lionel Richie could be our next business book, but is, uh, but that is absolutely um, the the way you need to think about it because it's 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 you can control a whole lot, but it's the it is the interpretation of those outside of you around you that really matter more. So one other distinction you make in your book is crisis or critical moment. What is the difference and why does it matter? Yeah, it's really important. So, you know, so a crisis, you know, are these sort of one-off singular events. And so BP in the Gulf, Deepwater Horizon that happened in the Gulf of Mexico, that was a crisis. Something broke. Now, there was a systemic series of failures, but something broke underwater that allowed that oil to, to pump into, into the Gulf and, and all of the, the very terrible damages that happened. Mm -hmm. That was a crisis. That, that needed to be managed in the moment as a crisis. And that generally speaking, the public has a pretty, has, is, is actually sympathetic or empathetic when the, in these sort of crisis situations. When you get into critical moments, critical moments are sort of this long-term number of issues. So BP was in a series of critical moments because they had to deal with an, an issue they had in Alaska, the issue they'd had in Europe, the issue they had in the Gulf of Mexico. And so critical moments are sort of these, the, the sum of multiple crises over the long term. And so a crisis is a singular event. Longer term, we're talking about these notion of critical moments. And the way you deal with those critical moments clearly impact your reputation over the long term. It's not as much about the specific crisis itself. Okay. So in your book, you give a lot of examples 
uh, a lot of really great examples. You talk about uh, Chipotle and, and the, uh, uh, that was E. coli that they went through, right? Um, yeah, well, a number of health, another food, number of food safety issues, but yes, generally that's the primary one. Right. Um, so, you know, and, and it's, it's very hard nowadays to turn on uh, the television and not hear of some new crisis. I mean, um, or especially a, a crisis of reputation, like just this morning where uh, it's April 13th today, uh, there was a big uh, headline talking about NASCAR drivers suspended without pay for being on a conference call and thinking his microphone was off and, sh- and, and using the N-word, right? And that one seems to be one that has bit a lot of companies lately is not being not being aware of some of the the social issues that are going on and either having people at the the senior level uh, not paying attention to it or is in uh, the, the case of Starbucks, a local level manager paying attention to these social issues. So in your experience, because bringing all that together, do you see those kind of like the, the BP uh, issues where something just breaks being a bigger issue or do you see corporations not taking their, their corporate social responsibility programs uh, more seriously as a bigger crisis looming over their head? Yeah. Great. Really, really great distinction. I think industrial accidents. So let's just talk about that in the nature of a crisis um, has far less impact than the, than the examples that you talked about. Uh, and so as organizations, think about race relations, think about these social issues of the day. Organizations really need to be thoughtful about how people are going to perceive that. And I'm agnostic on a lot of those issues on where companies come down on them, you know, hourly wage or or sustainability or global warming or whatever these different topics are. I've got my personal opinions, but the way I work with my clients is that they need to be thoughtful make those decisions well in advance and then articulate them where you don't want to be is you don't want to be caught flat footed. And so NASCAR in that example had no choice, you know, to do that. That is a, that's a socially unacceptable phrase. And NASCAR had to make, had to make that. I don't know if NASCAR actually did it or his team did it, but, but the, the leader really had no choice, um, but to make a decision, um, uh, a decision, a decision like that. So, how organizations respond in the moment to the crisis, but then more about these longer reputational issues. That's the place that organizations really need to think about what they're doing. Yeah, you know, I, I like that because uh, you know one of the the leadership traits from the Marines is is decisiveness, and, and that's exactly what you said. Were you ever in the service? I was not. I oh. was not. It's it's funny because you're you're kind of like going down the the Marine Corps leadership playbook here because it's exactly what we talk about with decisiveness is that piece of information right there is going to tell your troops everything they need to know about you. When something pops up that you know is wrong, do you handle it right away, the right way, or do you wait and wait and wait and hem and haw on the decision? Because like you said, with NASCAR, they acted, and I think it was actually his team uh, that, that suspended him, but NASCAR kind of got involved as well. You know, if that was very blatant, right? If they had of not, or they had not have taken immediate action, 
the the kind of the private response would be, what have you got to think about? Why is this something you really have to decide whether you should take action on or not? And that would have done some damage to the reputation too, even though they took the right action, right? No, it's absolutely. And it goes back to one, one of the equations that I talk about in the book is this notion of, it's a, what we call an equation for crisis success. Speed is the key determinant of success in, in most crises and most in crises communications, being fast to respond. The formula and the equation that we believe for that is that it's mission and values plus chain of command equals speed. Hmm. And so knowing what you stand for as an organization and 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 the things that that are at the center of your DNA at the core of the DNA of your organization and that could be you know you know we're a mission driven organization we are totally about shareholder uh, response we've got a a greater responsibility to the greater good or we're about protecting my family whatever the whatever that mission and values is equal plus excuse me plus chain of command both formal and informal and I'm curious to talk to you about informal chain of command, is there is clearly an established chain of command on many org charts and corporations. There's also a, a formal chain of command, obviously, in the military. But, but it's been my experience that when companies get themselves into trouble in a crisis is when they're not conscious of the informal chain of command and that that wise counselor that has the CEO's ear doesn't show up on anybody's org chart, but all of a sudden they're helping make a lot of decisions or the outside counsel that's working at you know at the law firm who provides advice to the general counsel the the company employee really understanding those two things mission and values what do you stand for chain of command how do you make decisions the sum of those two things equals speed and then the and the the speed at which you actually respond because speed is the major differentiator between good and great crisis communications yeah no, I, I, I love that and because you're right. I mean, even in an organization like the military, you know, we used to have uh, kind of a joke. Uh, it's like, who, who's the most powerful uh, enlisted person on a base? Everybody, would, you know, like they would look at the chain of command. They'd be like, you know, the, the sergeant major, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, it's the general's driver. And that's usually, uh, you know, a lance corporal or maybe a corporal because they're the one that spends all the time with the general. Uh, they, they get to talk to them. They kind of build a a, uh, I'll say an abnormal relationship considering the rank difference, but, but you're absolutely right. That informal, uh, that informal chain of command is sometimes more important than the actual chain of command. Yeah. So help me. So actually in a, in a, in a battlefield context, does that same thing apply? There's formal chain of command, but is there also informal chain of command or is that so sacrosanct that that causes a lot of trouble? When, when an informal chain of command creeps in? Well, you know, so the, the, the textbook answer is that doesn't matter, but the reality is it does because, you know, and I think this is where uh, kind of going back to your culture and leadership thing, right? So just because you have a rank, but if you rely on that rank and you treat people like crap, well, they're the, your reputation, if you will, precedes you and people are going to be less likely to move heaven and earth to get you what you need. So you could be a general demanding supplies and that supply clerk, uh, well, you know, we're going to have to do this and this first. I'll get to you, right? But if you are 
a sergeant that is out there leading, taking care of people, you could actually get stuff done easier than that general. So I don't know if that 100% answers your question, but, you know, that sergeant, they're going to make that same phone call. All right, sergeant, yep, we're going to do whatever we can to get you what you need, when you need it, how you need it. Let's make it happen. So uh, officially, it doesn't matter, but we're still all people, right? We still build on relationships and reputations and things like that. So there's definitely an informal chain of command there. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen it. We see it in companies, you know, folks that have very, very well established org charts. Mm-hmm. But um, but but in the crisis, in these sort of moments is they unfortunately break down because the CEO at, at peacetime, if you will, will really sort of listen to all of the disciplines around the table. But when they need to make fast decisions, it's usually sort of a subset, smaller star chamber that are actually making a lot of these decisions. Right. It's it's who they trust the most exactly. at that time. Not what the org chart says. <laughs> right. Right. So, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, because one of the things that, that, that my partner and I talk about when we go in is, is power versus authority, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the person with the most power doesn't have the most authority. Sometimes the person with the most power in an organization could be an administrative assistant because they're the ones that actually know how to pull the levers to make whatever you need to have happen, happen. And they can either make that really easy for you or they can make that really difficult depending on how you treat them. And my point in a crisis response context is you got to know that going in. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and so I'm not advocating in that equation about, you know, mission and values plus chain of command equals speed. I'm not advocating that you follow this well-articulated, powerful chain of command. I'm, I'm What I'm saying is that we know in a crisis things are going to be different. So let's acknowledge that. Let's give it a label and let's understand sort of the different rules of engagement that we're going to have in this environment. So I'm, so I don't, I'm not, I'm not wedded to an org chart. I just want people to really understand that when all things break down, the CEO is going to call his mom and that's who he's going to talk to. Just (laughs) as a crazy example, we should know that. Yes. No, I, I, I a hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. So uh, one of the other things you talk about in your book uh, the four A's of reputation management. Those are awareness, assessment, authority, and action. And, and you believe in those four A's so strongly that it's actually the cover art for the book. So walk us through those those A's, if you would, and and why those are the uh, the the words you chose. Yeah, great, great, great. So if you don't mind, I'll sort of share an anecdote or share a story about how I got there. Okay. Is that we had been, um, we just finished a situation, a crisis situation with a very, very dynamic um, female CEO in New York. And this was about four, uh, not quite a week, maybe three or four days of in the news media coverage. They, they had done some things that required, um, it took them three or four days to sort of figure out how to navigate through that. And we had been working with them. And so, we had become really close counselors to the CEO and, and, and the leadership team. And so we were debriefing this situation and she basically said to me, she said, well, that sucked. Let's never do that again. 
And it wasn't malfeasance on her part or anything like that. It was just a situation that, that the, the expectations of the public and the media were a little bit misaligned with what the company had done. And so her quote was, you know, that sucked. And all along this journey, I had said, and we'd had a relationship more than these couple of days, all along that journey, I said, we need to build a reservoir of goodwill. We need to begin to grow our reputation. And so in this debrief after the incident, she was saying, you've talked to me about reputation before, but tell me exactly what you mean. What do you mean by reputation? So this is about five years ago. And I pulled out a bunch of consultant jargon language to try to explain it to her. And she said, you know what I need is I need something like the four P's of marketing. And so Earl, I don't know if you're familiar with that old saw from way back in a long time ago of the four P's of marketing. It's price, product, place, promotion. And it's sort of these standards of marketing that's still been very applicable, you know, since the 60s when it first got introduced. So she was looking for the device to help understand how she could manage reputation the same way that she understood how she could manage marketing, price, product, place, promotion. Each one of those four P's, you can do two things. You can assign budget to it and you can assign responsibility to it. And as we think about reputation, every other discipline within the American or international corporations, there is a framework. There is a model whether it's janitorial services, legal services, insurance services, whatever the, the organization does, there's typically a management framework. And so with that challenge where she said, I need something like the four Ps, I came home and, and flew home um, back to where I live from New York. And I said, okay, I need to articulate that. And so through that journey, I came up with the four Ps um, of awareness, assessment, authority, and action. Okay. I'm happy to kind of explain them and, and sort of talk a lot of in more detail, but but the, the genesis of the four A's really kind of came from this initial conversation of saying, you know, we need a tool to articulate this. Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, that's it, it's amazing how it's amazing how often that one simple question leads to something so profound, right? Yeah. So it was. So yeah, so, actually, step us through those. So uh, I'm going to go in the the order in the book. So. Uh, awareness. Awareness. Yeah. So the awareness is it's a it's a it's articulated as a pyramid. Is that you know awareness is the foundation, and so in order to go on a reputation management journey, we think the first thing that an organization needs to do is have a sense of self awareness. This goes back to mission and values. This goes back to chain of command. Really fundamentally understanding who we are as an organization, what do we stand for, what's important to us, what are the values that we hold dear. And so the, all of that fits into this self-awareness. And it's odd to talk about self-awareness in the context of a corporation, but it's this awareness of who we are. Once you finish that journey, and the book talks about some steps and very concrete examples of how to do that, is you then move to assessment. And so assessment is after you have an understanding of and an awareness of who you are, Ask those that matter most, your employees, your customers, your leadership team, the regulators that regulate you, ask them. And so the notion of assessment is this questioning of what do you expect of us? We know who we are, but what do you expect of us? That's the assessment phase. It's good old fashioned stakeholder research and just asking those that matter most, what do they think? The third step is this notion of authority. I believe that too many 
programs or ideas that feel like good reputation management and, and things that people think of, we're going to write a big check to the United Way, we're going to have a big CSR program, we're going to have these innovative programs and ideas. They are born, but they don't get raised by the leadership. Is that authority is about once you've been aware you understand what your stakeholders expect of you in that assessment phase is you then go to your leadership and your board that says, this is what people want. Can we walk this walk? Can we walk this talk uh, that people are expecting of us? Because too many reputation management programs and or CSR fall dead when the leadership doesn't really live it and believe it. And they think it's sort of a bumper sticker. So authority is about the buy-in from the senior leadership of your organization, the board of directors, and that's where that chain of command comes in is who really matters uh, internally. Then in the model, there's a solid blue line. There's a solid blue line that separates authority from the next step, which is the, the, the top of the pyramid, which is action. Too often, well-intentioned consultants or well-intentioned um, communications people or marketing people within an organization say, we need to go do this. We need to have a position on LBGTQ. We need to have a position on global warming. We need to have a position on, on whatever. And they jump to action, but they never go through these processes. So we've got a barrier, a membrane between the final step of action and authority, the third step, that is the consultant barrier that says, don't immediately jump to action unless you've actually gone through awareness and assessment and authority. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that because, you know, I mean, how many organizations have found themselves uh, uh, over a barrel, if you will, because they jumped straight to action and they didn't do those first things and they've, you know, they've thrown money at, at a, quote, charity that isn't doing what it says it's supposed to be doing. They haven't done their due diligence. And now they're caught up in the middle of some controversy because they haven't done their, their due diligence. Or, you know, you're talking about the awareness piece being the foundation. It's, it's not necessarily in line with who they are and what they say. Uh, so, so I like that because you, you kind of, Hey, stop, think about this. And how are you really wanting to execute what you're trying to do? So, so I like that built-in mechanism. Yeah, because too often good ideas just – people just blast good ideas to the top, to the action, and they forget, can we really pull this off? And that's a horrible, horrible model. Well, yeah, and, and the one thing I like, uh, you know, again, about awareness – well, actually, let me ask you this question. So awareness is kind of the foundation, but, um, you know, I, unlike most foundations, it's not – necessarily static and stable your your awareness can change right it's very dynamic yeah, absolutely so i don't think this is one and done and it's very much of a cyclical model um but absolutely you need to constantly be checking in um, that's a little bit of an assessment phase but you also need to be checking in because leadership teams change priorities change i think we're seeing this you know as we sit right now in the age of covid-19 is that i think a lot of people's 2020 plans are changing and that all that needs to be built into that process and needs to be built into your thinking well yeah and so i'm glad i'm actually glad you brought up covid-19 cuz i was going to i was going to get there eventually but uh, you know, with, with a lot, I'm, I'm assuming that you're dealing with a lot of organizations right now who uh, are, are dealing with this same crisis, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're making a lot of decisions on how to keep going forward and who can I, 
who do I keep on? Who can I lay off? How, what happens if I close my doors? Uh, there, there's probably a lot of tough questions that you're getting asked to help consult on right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and it's, it's about employee communications, internal communications. There's not a lot of burden for, for most organizations right now for external communications. It's most of the media narrative is about, you know, restaurant and the hospitality industry and, and the challenges for those employees and then healthcare workers. So that's, those are two important parts of our economy, but there's a big part of the economy that are not part of this story. Um, yeah. And so what we're seeing is is absolutely helping organizations figure out internal communications, who matters most, what are they going to say, when are they going to say it, where are they going to say it. So obviously without giving away the, the milk for free, so to speak, uh, what would be a piece of advice you have for an organization right now that's listening to this uh, on on how to kind of tackle the COVID-19 crisis as far as Man, message management and that goes. Yeah. Well, speaking of giving away the milk, we started a webinar series about four weeks ago, and it is fully my intent to give every give away everything we've got. So we mm. we are sharing as much as we can, um, simply with the ability to be helpful. So I, I, there's nothing to hold back. We're trying to be as helpful to organizations as we can be. And so um, I'll share a couple of different key insights. Two two primary ones. One is ABC always be communicating. We think mm-hmm. it is critical for organizations, whether you're a leadership of, or whether you're a, a team of five, 500, 5,000, or 50,000. I think it doesn't really matter. Always be communicating. And the reason you're always communicating is because of this notion is you want to be able to manage the expectations of those that matter most. And so you need to find out who really matters to your organizations, understand their expectations, and then meet or exceed those expectations as best you can. And I think people are really, really fair in this crisis is that that we all got in this together. It's a global pandemic. So always be communicating, manage stakeholder expectations. Second set is if you're an employer and you've got a team, big team, small team, doesn't really matter, is that written word, email or letters or what have you, are really good for sending information wash your hands or pick up your paycheck on Friday. Um, But if you're trying to demonstrate care or sentiment uh, or a concern that you have video and or in-person meetings, which is now more difficult, um, that's what's critically important is that I don't think you can demonstrate care and concern and and your humanity in in a memo to all employees. So we're advocating a lot of clients always be communicating Manage stakeholder expectations by asking and understanding. And then three, you know, if you want to demonstrate care and, and concern, take the effort, take the extra effort and don't just write it in a memo, actually communicate it face to face as best you can with all the constraints that we have of, uh, of uh, but you can use video. Now, I want my listeners to, to really soak that in because, you know, that's not just a oh, I think this is what you should do. We have a lot of neuroscience that proves that what Bill's talking about is an absolute must because of the way the brain processes information, especially in regards to communication. Uh, the, the visual uh, piece of communication makes up somewhere in the neighborhood, depending on which uh, study you're reading, 80 to 90% of communication. 
what your face looks like, uh, you know, the, the eye movements, all of that stuff is a huge piece of communication. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that is completely 100% spot on information because, yeah, I mean, you get an email and that can be nice, but, you know, in this day and age, there's very few of us walking around that don't have a camera, a video camera in our pocket that could just flip that around, record the same amount of information, but get all of that tone of voice, facial expression, all of those contexts behind it. And that could be the difference between, uh, you know, really upsetting and alienating a large por- par- a large portion of your uh, workforce versus bringing them on board and, and, and into a more understanding area, right? Yeah, critically, really, really, really critically important. So these uh, the the webinars that you were talking about are those uh, are those going to be recorded? Is that something? Yeah, that we've got them recorded. You can find them on our website. You know, we started. You know, one of the things just additionally that we're talking about is we talk about that we do not believe as where we are right now in uh, April of of twenty twenty is that we do not believe there's going to be a global lifeguard or a lifeguard in the United States that's going to blow the whistle and say it's safe to get back in the water. And we've been talking about that for two or three weeks now. I think the on, on this Monday morning that we're recording this is that people are just coming to light of that. I think the administration is probably going to do some sort of soft opening or try to as do as much of an opening as they can or an easing uh, sometime around May 1st. And then they are going to be um, leave it to the states, leave it to the governors to make these decisions. And that is going to create a very, very awkward, choppy um, response that organizations are going to have to deal with and decide which lifeguard are they going to listen to on when it's safe to get back in the water? And then how are they going to get safe, get back in the water? Because formats, facilities, and footprints are all going to change significantly. Um, even for even if you're going back into an office, the way you manage your, your kitchen is going to ch- need to change um, because of the expectations of your employees. So the webinars, yes, are all going to be available on our website. And those are the types of ideas that we're talking about to help organizations come back We've been talking about that for a couple of weeks. We just we've talked about stakeholder research, how to talk about how to talk to your stakeholders. And then moving forward, we're going to talk specifically about, you know, how do we what are the things that organizations should look for to determine whether coming back um, is working or not? Mm. And, And I will make sure that I get links to I'll have links to the website and links to those webinars on the show notes. Uh, You know, just for the listeners, you, you may have noticed kind of uh, strayed from my typical format of, of an interview and then something from history and then interview something from history because I've, I've been really fortunate uh, to hit a, a string of guests right now that have some things to share in regards to COVID-19 and responses. So, uh, you know, when we first scheduled this bill, you know, I was talking like, hey, we're probably not going to be out until like August, September, but you're actually, I'm kind of fast-tracking things like this, you're probably actually going to be out in a couple of weeks. So it's going to be a little bit more real-time because you have such valuable information. I want to make that available to my listeners. Uh, so we're going to get that out there. But Great. Happy to help. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. And, you know, and so just to add a layer of complexity to what you're talking about, it's, you know, it's not even just going to be us and, and what the federal government does. I was reading some stuff this morning talking about all eyes on Spain because Spain is starting to kind of 
relax some of their their uh, their restrictions right now, and you know because their their new cases and death count has dropped, real, uh, I guess, fairly dramatically. It was talking about you know if they see a second spike, you can expect other countries to not ease on their timeline. So. I think that kind of ties back to that awareness piece is being aware of everything going on to make those best decisions, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what, and that's what organizations need to be thinking about. And that's what we're trying to share, which is what we're sharing with our clients. But we think it's it's important enough. Um, and it's our little way of giving back. That's, we think organizations, all organizations need to be thinking that way right now because it's not going to be easy. It's going to be very choppy. Right. And, um, you know, I would I would imagine... Because uh, people, is it your experience doing what you do? How many organizations actually are actively thinking about these things before a crisis hits versus reacting once a crisis hits? Yeah. Hard to put a specific number on that. It, it feels like less than 20, more like 15 are actually dedicating the resources to thinking about it there are a lot of people that think about risk in an enterprise risk management context, but there's very few that are linking ERM with reputation and putting those two things together. Uh, it's unfortunately a small number. Uh, I think the bigger you are as a company, the more they think about it. But I think a middle market is really, really underserved thinking about those things. Okay. So um, for my listeners now who may be in that middle market area that are, are – uh, have kind of bought into the concepts that we've discussed here over the last uh, 40 minutes or so. Um, what is the best way for them to, uh, to, to reach out to you and your company? And uh, what is it like a quick, uh, if you could synopsis of like, what does your service do and how can you help them? Terrific. Um, so kith.co, K-I-T-H.co is our website. Most everything we do, we try to put up on our website. LinkedIn, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, it's just Bill Coletti, um, C-O-L-E-T-T-I. And then the same for Twitter, just B Coletti on Twitter. Those are the three channels that we're at. Happy to take emails, happy to handle, you know, uh, take questions. Um, people engage with us in a couple of different ways. There's a retainer-based relationship, but we've also got a, a, a much smaller um, consulting, um, almost by we're, we're doing it by the minute almost, um, just to, to have a conversation about thinking about reputation and risk, uh, but also specifically around communications around COVID-19. Um, and then we do a lot of crisis simulations where we work with organizations for them to actually simulate and think about crisis um, and for them to, to, to exercise those muscles around mission and values and chain of command. Outstanding, outstanding. Well, Bill, as we move towards uh, wrapping this up, uh, kind of the last question I like to ask, and sometimes this leads to, to more conversation, is is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to like to discuss now? You know, I think we've done such a, a really good job of talking about a number of things. I just think if you, I, I really believe now in this situation, and I also believe it in the normal state that we find ourselves in, of ABC, always be communicating. And it's never too late to start. If you do do a couple of things, check on your organization, who matters most, who are, the, who are the, the groups that matter to you, and then begin the process of communication. Because I don't know where this situation is going to wind up. I feel like we're all moving back to, a, to, to normalcy in a, in a COVID context. But I think if you have 
open and candid conversation with your teams and your organizations, that's when you can make better decisions. So it's it's really always be communicating and it's never too late to start. Okay. So just to, to kind of clarify, because I don't want the listeners uh, to, to hear that and think that means uh, talk more. How do you see listening fitting into communicating? Yeah, I think I think communication by definition is two-way. Um, so absolutely. Thank you for the clarification. Is that I think leaders have to share where they stand, but I think just as important is that leaders have to listen. They have to take the opportunity to listen and give feedback. Now, often someone has to go first. Uh, and so that's maybe the role of the leader to go first and communicate. Here's where we are. Here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. I'd love to get your feedback. And so listen and, and be engaged in two-way dialogue. I think that's absolutely the key for every organization to think through. All right. Well, Bill, thank you very much for being with us, uh, for being with us today. It's been a great conversation. Uh, again, I want to plug your book one more time for you. Uh, Critical Moments, The New Mindset of Reputation Management. I really, really want to encourage you all to pick up the book. It's it's a nice, it's a quick, easy read packed full of case studies where uh, some of the things have went very well and some things not so much. And uh, uh, I love the way it's laid out uh, and and just grab, a, grab your copy. Uh, we'll have a link uh, to some places where you can get that in the show notes. Uh, but again, Bill, thank you for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you for what you do. I think it's really valuable to share these types of insights and and what you do. So thank you very much for having me. My my pleasure. My pleasure. And listeners, thank you very much for your time being with us uh, today. Uh, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, uh, it's just burden.command at gmail.com. Uh, be sure that you're subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show and sharing it with your friends to, to help this thing grow and reach, uh, reach more ears. I really appreciate all the efforts on that front. So thank you very much to my listeners. And I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore L-A. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric acid. Electric acid.